to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I want to ask you a question. What would you think of a child or a grandchild who would come to you and say, I want to live in a clean, uncluttered home, but they always made a big mess and leave everything a mess. What would you think of that child? I love being everything being clean. I love everything being neat. That's the way I want to live. But they always leave things a mess. They don't know what they want. <laughs> what do we call that kind of um, behavior? What? Failure? <laughs> okay. I was thinking more like hypocrite or, you know, something like that. <laughs> you say, what's that got to do with anything? Well, that kind of leads into um, the title of our Bible study series, Living the Lord's Prayer. I've mentioned that the last couple of weeks as we've gotten into this. Why are we talking about living the Lord's Prayer rather than just praying the Lord's Prayer? And, and the reason I say that is that if we are going to pray something and mean it, then we should be willing to live it out. And that's what the purpose of the study is, is to look at the Lord's Prayer and see what truths there are there. Um, we're also considering how they're manifested or demonstrated in Jesus' life and teaching. And talk about how does this influence the way we pray and what we pray for, but also how should it influence our life? I mean, the illustration I've used is why should we pray, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but I'm not going to do it. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And so that's what we're seeking to do. Learn not only how to pray better, but how we can let this prayer and its truths influence our lives. All right. So we started out a couple of weeks ago with some general principles of prayer that Jesus gave right before um, the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew 6. And then we've been examining it one little piece at a time. We've only been doing one word at a time for the last two weeks. This week we're doing two words. But starting next week, we're going to do a whole phrase, okay? So next week, we're going to be studying um, Hallowed Be Your Name. So if you are going to be meditating on it ahead of time, that's what you want to meditate on is Hallowed Be Your Name. I'll have the sheets of paper I've been putting out on the back table if you want to take one that has the four questions that we're meditating on throughout the week. But we did some general principles on prayer. Then the next week, we talked about the word hour. What's the significance that Jesus started the prayer with our? And then he continues by saying we and us instead of me, mine. You know, it's, it's, it's plural. And we talked about how that let us know that we come to God aware that we are in relationship with others. And that should influence our relationship with God. That should influence the way we pray. That should influence the way we live. If you missed any of these, you can listen to them online. Then last week, we talked about the, the fact that Jesus said we can pray our Father. Instead of great God Almighty or Lord and King, which there's nothing wrong with all of those, but the fact that we get to call him Father. And so we talked about how we have this privilege of having a close, warm, intimate relationship with one who loves us, forgives us, and will discipline us, but he wants what's best for us. Okay, It's not just this great sovereign king that we have to beg and plead to somehow... Uh, you know, get on our side or, or, or grant our wishes. Um, now, on your note sheet, I did put the whole thing, our Father in heaven, but tonight we're focusing on the in heaven part because we already talked about our and Father. Why did Jesus qualify it with in heaven? And what does the fact that this Father we're praying to is in heaven, 
What significance does that have? All right. So let's go ahead and read the whole prayer. In fact, I want to back up actually one verse before in verse 8. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I read that because we're going to talk about that for a minute tonight. Verse 9, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A prayer that probably all of us are familiar with. So again, tonight we're going to focus on that phrase, in heaven. Our Father in heaven. I mentioned this last week, so you can be thinking about it. That in the Greek, it literally does not say in heaven. It says in the heavens. Our Father in the heavens. And I challenge you to maybe do a Google search online or whatever and find out what is the significance that there are places in the Bible where if you get into the original, it's not just in heaven. There are places it just says in heaven or heaven. But there are many places where it says in the heavens. In fact, Matthew often talks about the kingdom of heaven. Whereas the other gospel writers talk about the kingdom of God, same thing. We'll talk about that a little bit tonight. But in the original, it's actually kingdom of the heavens. All right? Well, if you did a little bit of research, maybe you discover what I have on your note sheet. And this provides a little bit of background for our study tonight. And that is that in the time the New Testament was written, and even actually even in the Old Testament, the culture there had this view of the heavens that is a little bit different than ours. Okay, different philosophies and religious beliefs would develop these really um, detailed, structured levels of heaven and all that kind of stuff. And some cults today have different levels of heaven and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, ancient peoples looked at heavens existing in three levels. Okay, the first one was the atmosphere. Okay, on your note sheet, it's got the realm of the air around and above us. The air that we breathe. The atmosphere is from the ground up till you get to outer space. That was the first heaven. The second heaven was the stratosphere. You may learn some new words tonight, by the way. The stratosphere. The stratosphere are the stellar heavens that include the universe. universe. All the stars, all the planets, everything you can see and way beyond what you can see. Uh, physicists and scientists tell us that it exists way out into eternity. All right? But then the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. I have on your note sheet 2 Corinthians 12. You can read that later, but that's the place where Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven. And he also calls it paradise. So, but he's talking about, he says, I was caught up. Now, he talks about it as if it's another person, but we know it's him. It's very clear when you read the whole passage. He says, I was caught up into the very presence of of God, I was caught up to where God dwells, where where, where God um, is, and that's the third heaven. And so, when um, Jesus says we pray, "Our Father in the heavens," it may have just a little bit different meaning than we would think of when we just say "Our Father in heaven." And we'll dig a little bit more into that. So, the first question we're dealing with every single week, based on the phrase, the word, whatever that we're looking at, is. What truths are found in this portion of the Lord's Prayer? Now, we're talking about in heaven or in the heavens. So what does the fact that God, our Father, is described as in heaven or in the heavens, 
Okay? That's when he started. What does that tell us about God? What truths are there when we say that our God, our Father, is in heaven or in the heavens? What kind of truths? Now, I've told you before, you may have some different answers than I do. doesn't make them wrong. Okay? There's a lot of truth. This week I had to cut a lot of stuff out again because there's just so much good stuff here. So the fact that God is described as in heaven or in the heavens, what does that tell us about God? Bruce? Okay, that he's looking down on us? Looking down on like, looking down on us? or Looking down on us, okay. But not like we would say like, I'm really looking down on you. Not in a negative way, right? Okay, well that's what I'm trying to clarify. Not in a negative way, but he's looking at us. He sees us. He's looking at seeing what's going on. Okay, Chris? Okay. All right, Chris used a real fancy word. He's omnipresent. He knows what's going on everywhere, including the enemy. All right. What else does this tell us about God? John? He has an advantage in his vantage point. Yeah. He sees a whole lot more, and that gives him an advantage. All right. What else does this tell us about our God? Sharon. Okay, that his dominion, his place is in heaven. And we put that with other scriptures where he says that he gave mankind the earth to rule, which unfortunately, way back with Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve kind of turned it over to the enemy. That's why there's a big battle going on. What else does the fact that he's described as in heaven or in the heavens tell us about God? Barbara. That he's in a holy place? Yes, literally, because the word holy means separate or set apart. So if God's in heaven, heaven is definitely a place that is separate from and set apart from earth. Yeah. Joan. That he's above everything. Not just in a sense of looking at and looking down an advantage point, but as a being, he's above everything. All right. Good deal. Lori. Okay. So even though we can call him Father, and there's lots of good with that. Sometimes there's bad baggage with the father thing, but he's not like our earthly father, you know, especially in any bad way. We talked about that a lot last week, that, you know, if you've had a bad experience uh, with your father, God is what fathers should be. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's true. Too. Yeah, that's definitely true. Okay. Okay, so even though we're allowed to call him father and have that close, intimate relationship, he's not just like any other father, okay? There's something more, okay? There's something bigger. There's something better. In fact, we're going to talk about this a little bit a little bit later on that we call him our father, but if we just had that all by itself, we could become too familiar, to, not too familiar in the sense of knowing too well, but, but too relaxed, too, too um, flippant, too disrespectful. Okay, not that you guys ever were disrespectful to your father or anything like that, but that this kind of father, he is a father, but it's deserving of honor and respect in an ultimate sense. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? What this tells us about the father. Verissa. He knows everything. Yeah. All right, let me give you what I came up with. And again, all the answers you gave are true and right, and they line up. Some of them do with the ones I have. Um, but uh, what I have here is letter A, our Father is omnipresent. That's the word Chris used. I said, 
<laughs> you promise you didn't read that? Yeah, okay. You, I told you you're going to learn some new, uh, new words tonight. Um, the character of God. God is omnipresent, which means he is present everywhere. Omni uh, is, comes from a root, a Greek word that means all or every. So omnipresent is all present, every present. That means he is everywhere. Um, God is not confined to our world. He's sovereign over all creation. But, the, the, and here's one of the reasons why I think it's important, we don't want to make too much of it, but why it's important we realize that when this says, our Father in heaven, that it's talking, it says literally, our Father in the heavens, is that it's not just talking about God is way up there, so separated from us, we can't touch him, we can't, you know, he's just, he's just out there, Okay? When you look at it, if you just look at it as our Father in heaven, we can't see heaven, it's a spiritual place, whatever, we could get that idea. But when you think about the fact that he's our Father in the heavens, not only up there where we can't see him, a place that's not physical or whatever, but also out in the universe, well, that still seems pretty far away, but he's actually also in the first heaven, in the very air that we breathe. In other words, God is everywhere. He's not just some faraway being that we can't have connection or communication with. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's present everywhere. Uh, one of the, there's scriptures for all, several scriptures for all these, but the one that jumped out at me is Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Perhaps you've heard this. Uh, the psalm writer, I don't know if David wrote this one or not. I didn't look it up. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the place of the dead, you're there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, that's the far west, okay? Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So Psalmist is basically saying, it doesn't matter where I go, you know? That Psalm also talks about that, you know, even when I was still in the mother's womb, you knew me. In fact, you're the one who put me all together there, all right? So God is everywhere, all right? So our Father in heaven or in the heavens tell us, that our God, our Father, is omnipresent. The second one, letter B, our Father is omniscient. That means he knows all things. Again, omni means all. Scient comes from science, which means knowledge. All right? So our Father is omniscient. He knows all things. This kind of just grows out of the fact that he's all present. If he's everywhere all the time, then he knows everything. All right? This tells us that God knows and cares about every detail of our lives. Now, when I started out by reading this prayer, I said, I want to jump back and read the second half of verse 8. And it says, for your father knows that what you need before you ask him. And that raises the question, if God is omniscient and he knows all things, Jesus confirmed it here in verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Since God already knows what we want and what we need, why bother praying? Lori. <laughs> okay, because sometimes we don't know what we want or need. I can hear it with my own ear. Okay. Why else? There's a lot, there's several reasons why we should still pray, even though God already knows what we want or need. What are some other reasons why we should pray? It's not the main focus tonight, but it's good to go over it. Chris? Never know what's around. Okay. We don't know what the future holds. We may think we know what we want and need, and we may be right, but we don't know everything because we don't know what's coming coming up ahead and we got our father on our side we got an enemy against us and so praying about all of that especially about the things we don't know about makes a big difference why else should we pray even though god already knows what we want or need joe 
Yeah, because prayer is not just about asking God for stuff. In fact, that's all our prayer, if that's all our prayer life consists of, we are very immature. Just like a child that only talks to you when they want something. I heard another voice over here. Who was it? Somebody else said something. Now you don't want to admit to it? I don't know. Joan? Because he delights in hearing from us. Yeah, it's building relationship. Prayer is more about building relationship than just getting what we think we want or need. But that doesn't mean that we can't ask for what we want or need. God invites us to do that. In fact, one of the other reasons we should pray anyway is that even though God knows everything and can do anything he wants, he has so set the universe up and the way it runs that there are certain things he's only going to do if we ask for it. Even though he could go ahead and do it, he's not going to. Because he wants us to be in relationship with him and he wants to do things in us and through us and in cooperation with us, which is just pretty amazing if you think about it. Okay? So... Anyway, another reason is a reason that we never liked as kids, and that is because God said so. You know, when your kids say, why do I want And you say, because I said so. Uh, and by the way, that is not the best way to deal with our kids and grandkids. <laughs> the best thing is to try to explain to them the reasons why they should or shouldn't do anything so they can learn how to make good decisions. But anyway, so our Father is omniscient, and he knows all things. Letter C, our Father is omnipotent. He has all power and authority. Again, omni meaning all. Potent or potency means power. So our Father is omnipotent. He has all power and authority. Do you remember a time maybe when you were a kid you thought your father could do anything? Yeah, you know, little kids, you know. Um, of course, they have a much higher view of their mother. But yes, but the father, my, my dad can do anything. Um, of course, it doesn't take very long that they realize that that may not be true. But God can. God has all power and authority. He is sovereign and rules over all things. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I like that. It's like, God can do whatever he wants. Now, God will never do anything against his character, what is against righteousness and truth and justice and compassion and love. That's all part of his character. But he can do whatever he wants. He's got all power. And then one more fancy word. These are all theological words. Letter D, our God is transcendent. That means he is above normal or physical human experience. Our God is transcendent. He is above normal or physical human experience. Lots of verses about that, but I like Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God is speaking through the prophet. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, there's a whole lot more we could say about God being described as being in heaven or in the heavens, but those are four major characteristics of God that are demonstrated by that and can have an impact on the way we pray and the way we live. And we'll get to that when we get to the third and fourth questions. So the second question, how are these truths evident in Jesus' teachings and actions? How does the heaven show up in Jesus' life? in his teaching and, and what he does and who he is. John. Okay. A lot of Jesus' teaching had an earthly meaning and a heavenly meaning. Uh, earthly application, heavenly application. So uh, that was a very important aspect of Jesus' teaching. It wasn't just restricted to just practical, everyday stuff. All right? What else do we see about heaven and the heavens in Jesus' life and ministry or teachings? 
or even himself as a person. Farissa. Okay. So we talked about that a little bit last week, too. You know, um, Jesus equated himself with the Father because he also is God. And when I think it was Philip in the upper room said, show us the Father, Jesus, and we'll understand things a whole lot better, to paraphrase it. And he says, Philip, haven't I been around you long enough? When you see me, you see the Father. You know, and the Father's in heaven. Jesus is related to heaven. How else is Jesus related to heaven? That's where he came from. Where's Jesus now? And that's where he went to, right? Yeah. All right. Let me give you what I've got on my note sheet so we can spend more time on the application to how we pray and live. How are these truths evident in Jesus' teaching and actions? Letter A, Jesus stated that he came from heaven. Did it many times. Of course, you know, now that we see the whole picture, we know that Jesus is God and he revealed himself to be God. So if God's in heaven, then Jesus came from heaven. Two verses I have here, John six thirty-eight. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 23 says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Meaning he's from heaven. Okay. Uh, Letter B, uh, Jesus spoke of heaven as the dwelling place of God. Jesus did a lot of teaching about heaven, and he taught that it was a real place. And it was where God's presence was in a special way. God's presence is the omnipresent. It's everywhere, but in a special way, it is in heaven. In fact, he talks about heaven being his father's house. In fact, there's 19 times Jesus made reference to God the Father dwelling in heaven. I mentioned letter C a little bit earlier. Jesus proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting that The Gospels always talk about Jesus going around and preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You've probably heard that before, but maybe you did or didn't know that Matthew always says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the heavens, whereas the other Gospel writers don't ever say that. They say the kingdom of God. Refer to the same thing, okay? But Matthew talks about the kingdom of the heavens, which is God's rule and reign. Letter D, I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus taught often about heaven. In fact, um, if you look at Jesus' teachings, uh, here's a trivia question. What subject do you think Jesus taught and spoke about the most? If you actually just take all of his teachings and divide it up into categories and looked at volume, what topic do you think he spoke and talked about most? Chris? Nope, not hell. What? Money. And finances and things. Say, so why did Jesus talk so much about money? Don't we not like evangelists that do that? <laughs> it's because Jesus wasn't asking for money. He's talking about money and things because of the powerful impact they have on our lives. And the way we deal with them says a lot about our relationship with God. Okay? Um, but that being this case, I think, I don't remember, but I think that heaven is like in the second category. All right? And he did talk about heaven more than he talked about hell. But he did talk about hell a lot. You know, people don't want to deal with hell, but Jesus talked about it a lot. People that say, well, Jesus was all love and flowers and joy and rainbows, you know. No, Jesus talked about eternal punishment. He talked about hell. Letter E, since his ascension, Jesus is now present in heaven. That's where Jesus is now. A lot of scriptures about that. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21 says, God raised him, talking about Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion 
and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I think we talked about it last week. Let's see if you guys remember. What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? He's praying for us. Yeah. That's not the only thing he's doing, I'm sure. But there's two, two, at least two, maybe three places in Scripture where it talks specifically about how Jesus is praying for us, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And then letter F, Jesus will one day return from heaven for his people. Jesus will one day return from heaven for his people. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. All right. So we've got all these truths, and again, there's a whole lot more that go along with the idea of heaven and that being the dwelling place of God and um, what that tells us about God. But let's get into the practical application of it, though. The third question, how should these truths about heaven and what that tells us about God and his character and what we know about Jesus, how should these truths impact the way I pray and what I pray for? And I've only got three down, but you may come up with a bunch more. How should the fact that God is in heaven and all that says about God, how should that impact the way I pray or what I pray for? Any thoughts? Chris? Get off your rapture rug and start winning souls. Okay, what's that got to do with the fact that God's in heaven? I agree with you 100%, but what's that got to do with heaven? <laughs> okay. What else? What else do these truths tell us or how do they guide us as to how we should pray or what we should pray about? We should be reverential. Yeah. We get to come to God as Father, but not just any old father... Not flippantly, not irreverently, not disrespectfully, you know. Sharon. Okay. That he is our source. I mean, he's in heaven. He is the king and ruler. He's got all power, all authority. And so we need to depend upon him and look to him. Yeah. Okay. What else? He's everywhere, so we should not take that for granted. All right. What else? How else should it affect our prayers? Verissa. Okay, we should always be thankful. All right. Bruce. He says, is your what? Okay. That's right. We need to deal with the sin in our lives. And the fact that God is everywhere and he knows everything, he knows it. We can't hide anything from him. That can sound intimidating. That can sound convicting. That can sound condemning. But if we are in right relationship with God and we do mess up and blow it and we deal with it right away, it's nothing, you know, that, that's the good thing. And there's a sense of accountability, right? You know, you know, God sees you. That can sound really good or it can sound really bad. God's always with you. That can be comforting. That can be disturbing. <laughs> it all depends on where you are and what you're doing, right? Okay. How else do these truths affect the way we pray, what we pray for, and, and how we pray. Any other thoughts? All these are great thoughts. Okay, we should pray in faith. If he's our father, but he's also God and has all power and authority, we should pray in faith that if we're praying the right thing, we're going to get what we ask for. Very good. Let me give you the ones that I have. These are all great answers. 
Um, letter A, we should pray with a sense of God's nearness. Okay? Have you, now, that doesn't mean that we will always feel it. Have you ever had an experience where you just prayed? It's like, God, are you there? You know, my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, and I don't think you're even in the room. You know, the Bible talks about the heavens being brass, people praying, and it's like they can't get to God because the heaven has this barrier. That's not literally true, but that's the way it feels sometimes. And this is a truth we need to cling to when we are praying our heart out and we don't feel or sense God's presence. It doesn't matter what we feel. He is there. He is as close as our next breath. Bruce. That's right. We don't have to wait for the next available agent. You know, there is no hold line to heaven. Yeah, God doesn't, God doesn't put us on hold when we call heaven. Yeah, Chris. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jesus experienced everything we do. Jesus experienced praying and feeling like God wasn't there. You know, from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We talked about that some last week. Yeah. Okay, so we should pray with a sense of God's nearness. i got two verses here, um, two passages here. The first one is from earlier in this chapter, part of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you. In other words, the purpose of this verse is saying, you know, get some place where you can concentrate. Get some place where you can focus. And the secondary purpose in context is so you're not trying to show off and people think you're real spiritual. But the point is, is you can hide yourself in a closet. Now, Jesus didn't say this, but he could have. You can hide yourself in a closet, under a shelf, under an afghan. And God will still see you. <laughs> and God will still hear you. And that's meant to be a comforting thing, not a, <laughs> you can't get away from God. That's true. But it's a comforting thing. God sees and God hears whether you sense it, whether you feel it or not. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And if you stop there, it's like he's just way up there. But he says, and also with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, yes, I live in heaven. I am up there. I am God, whatever. But my presence is just as real to the person who feels like the lowest person on earth. And my purpose in that situation is to lift you up and to encourage you and to help you. If I could paraphrase what he says there. I have down also one Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. But we quoted that before um, where it talked about, you know, where can I go to be away from your presence and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, at the very end of that verse, it says, your hand leads me and your right hand holds me. All right, so we can't get away from him. He's, he's everywhere and anywhere we would go. But it is to hold us and to lead us and to help us and to guide us. Letter B, one of you guys mentioned this. I think it was Sharon, but I'm not sure. We should pray with an attitude of reverence. He is our loving Heavenly Father. We do have a close personal relationship with Him, but He is still Almighty God. Okay? Um, That's why even though it talks all over the place, we can love him and he loves us, that we still should fear him. Not fear him in the sense he's going to zap us, but there should be a good healthy fear if we're walking in disobedience because the God will discipline us. But the Bible also talks about this awe that we should have and this respect and giving him honor and giving him glory because of his glory. Um, 
this is not as good of an illustration. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it's not a good. It's a good illustration, but um, uh, it has to be multiplied many times. If you had, and I hope you did, but if you had a healthy relationship with your father, there was that love, but there was that respect. You knew that he loved you. You could count on him. You can trust him, whatever. But if you, but there's that respect because he's the authority, you know, right? You know, and he is going to discipline if there's a problem. All right. And you take that and multiply that over and over again, but in every positive way. And that's the way it is with God. He loves us. We love him. But yet we need to have a healthy respect. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay? All right. And then letter C. We should pray with confidence that God can do whatever needs to be done. If God is all-present, God knows everything, he is all-powerful, we can pray with confidence. If it needs to be done, God can do it. Now, it doesn't mean God's going to do everything we ask because we don't always ask for the right things. But if God says, yep, that needs to be done, it's done. Have you ever been in a situation where you really loved somebody and they were in need and there was nothing you could do about it? Sure we have. I mean, chances are if you've got a halfway compassionate heart or more, you look around you, you see people and you know, it's like, I wish I could do something about that, but I can't. The good news is that that's not God. He can do anything about anything. I love this quote by a guy by the name of William Barclay. He says, The power of God is always motivated by the love of God and can never be exercised for anything but our good. The love of God is backed by the power of God and therefore its purposes can never be ultimately frustrated or defeated. Uh, you got the power of God. you got the love of God. But the power of God is always moved by and directed by his love. And you got the love of God, but the love of God is backed up by his power. So he can fully love us and do all that is required and, and, and whatever um, by that love. Now, you guys gave some other great answers, too, but those are the three that I came up about how um, these truths should impact our prayers. Last question. How should these truths about heaven and what that implies about God and Jesus, how should these truths impact the way I live as I seek to follow Jesus? What did you say, Bert? We should live in righteousness. All right? We should do the right thing. Go back to what Bruce said. God can see you. Right? You know, so that should be something to help us with our accountability. How else should the fact that God is in heaven and all that kind of stuff affect the way we live? John. Okay. We should be ambassadors, you know, uh, spokesmen, representatives of God. And that should impact us because we don't want to be a bad representative. We're going to talk about that some more next week, too where Jesus said we should pray, hallowed be your name, you know. Well, I don't give too much away. We'll talk about that next week. But yes, we want to be good ambassadors. We don't want to be a bad reflection of God, our God, and who he is. Yeah, Lori. We should walk in faith. You know, if God really does know all things and he can do all things and, and he is everywhere and he loves us, then we should walk in faith if we're his children. Chris. Okay, so in our efforts to love God, that should motivate us to try to live a life that is pleasing to him and not give in to our flesh. Yeah, that goes back to the accountability thing too. Yeah, John. Yeah, it's like the uh, little adage that people 
All right? If you're accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Yeah. Any other thoughts? These are all great answers. I'll give you mine. Again, these are mine because I did the Bible study and I prepared the note sheet. But if there's other ones you like, just write them in your note sheet too. But these are the three, the ones that jumped out at me. Like I had to cut a lot out because we'd be here all night long. Letter A. We should be encouraged knowing that our Heavenly Father is always with us. We should be encouraged to know that God is always with us. We don't face anything alone. Sometimes we feel that way. But we feel a lot of things that aren't true. We never face anything alone if God is our Father. Again, that Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall guide me. I could have put it on here, but uh, Old Testament says it. I don't know where, but Hebrews says, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is always with us. There's a, there's a phrase that's been very popular for centuries now in Christianity called practicing the presence of God. And it comes from a book that was written by this Catholic monk. And this Catholic monk was in a convent. His name was Brother Lawrence. It's just a little pamphlet. You can get it. It's a great one to read. And his responsibility was to work in the kitchen. And he would help cook, but then he'd clean up afterwards. He would clean pots and pans. And this whole book is about the fact that that's the way he served God. It wasn't some big, high and mighty and seemingly official, important position, but it was just cooking food and cleaning up after it. He says, but I did it for God's glory. I was always aware of the fact that God was always with me. So everything I did, I did for him. And he talks about how, as he did it, everything he did, everywhere he went, he just always would talk to God because God is always with him. Lori. Practicing the presence of God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Letter B. We should be motivated to holiness, knowing that God is aware of all that we do. That's been mentioned by a couple of you. All right. Um, how many of you behave better when you know you're being watched? We all do, right? I mean, not just little kids. <laughs> We all, you know, there's certain things we might do in public, in private, and I don't mean sinful bad, that we're not going to do in public, right? And, and definitely when we're talking about things we shouldn't be doing, if we're being watched, you know, and, and this, this is not meant to be something to beat ourselves up or beat somebody else up with. God's watching you. But the fact that God is with us always, that should be a motivator for, I want to please God. You know, I want to please God. Um, again, the idea of accountability. The last one I have here, let us see. We should step out in faith, knowing the God of all power and authority is our Father. If God says, hey, here's the life I have for you. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I should do that. I, no, step out in faith. I'm, you know, he's your Father. He's got all power. He's got all authority. He's going to help you. All right? So step out in faith. Yeah. One more quote as we wrap this up. This phrase, our Father in heaven or our Father in the heavens. It's by a guy whose name is David Timms. He says, as we pray this short phrase, it speaks equally of the Father's majestic throne room and his amazing closeness, as close as our own breath. So we have an awesome God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, but he's also our living Heavenly Father. That should have a great impact on our way we pray and on the way we live. That's what we talked about the last two weeks. So, Next week, we're going to be looking at the phrase, Hallowed Be Your Name. Um, 
As I said, I'm going to put these note sheets in the back. It just has those four questions. So if you want to take one and all week long you meditate on it and you write down um, the things you come up with, uh, you can do that. All right? So let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we've had together tonight to look at the fact that you are in heaven. Lord God, not just the place we think of as far off, but all the heavens, Lord, the universe and the very air that we breathe. You are all around us. Lord, you are always present. You are all-powerful and almighty, Lord God, and yet we can call you Father. Father, I just pray that all the truths we talked about tonight would impact our lives, impact the way we pray, Lord, impact the way we live, that we would come to you confident as children, but also respectful, but also in faith knowing, Lord, that you're always at work on our behalf, and you can do anything so we can have great faith in you. And help us to live our lives, Lord God, as a good representative of you, as good children representing our Father. And Father, we just thank you and we praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.